Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Mallory Smith was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at the age of three. In her 25-year battle with the deadly disease, she carved out a life that most of us don't come close to, based on the best-selling posthumously published memoir of the same name, Salt in My Soul, is a documentary and a classic coming-of-age story about a young woman figuring out how to live life while dying. The film is called Salt in My Soul, and we're joined today by the director, Will Battersby, as well as Mallory's mother, Diane Shader-Smith. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, well, I'll start with you in, in terms of the film, the production of the film, the documentary, Salt in My Soul. Where did you come into this? How did you hear about Mallory? What, what was your, how did this all come about? So uh, one of the producers on the film, uh, Richard Abate, um, had uh, sold the book, um, you know, was approached by Diane and um, he had sold the book to Random House and he'd always thought it would make a great documentary and he sent it to me at the end of 2019, um, it was just before Christmas. Uh, I remember it vividly and I, I sat down and started to read it and I really didn't know much about cystic fibrosis. Um, I didn't know this story, but I read it in one sitting and knew immediately that, you know, the, the raw, certainly the, the story was there for a great film, um, you know, and then Diane and I talked extensively. I'm on the East Coast, she's on the West in California. Um, you know, we talked extensively uh, because quite rightly, she's a very fierce protector and gatekeeper of this. Um, you know, it's her daughter's legacy and life's work. And, um, you know, after sort of, we realized we saw eye to eye, I jumped right in. Diane, in terms of the books out, at what point did you think about this as being a film project? Well, Richard approached me early on about a film or a TV series. And I was very clear in the beginning that Mallory had spent 10 years writing and that she was a writer and identified as such. And so I wanted it as a book and I didn't really entertain the notion initially. But what I realized at some point was that books reach different people than movies do. And movies give you a much wider audience. Plus in working with Will, he pushed me hard to uncover material that was out there that I hadn't pushed for because it was too painful to look at. And once I saw all this material and once the book had reached the audiences that I wanted it to reach, then I realized, oh yes. And then from that point on, I've never looked back. And in fact, I knew, I, I now realize that with the trailer that we'll cut with April, the editor, we've probably reached more people. I think the book has sold something like 35 or 40,000 copies, but the trailer seems to have reached more people and a much wider um, audience because a picture is worth a thousand words. And in two minutes, you can grasp the story that if you want to read the book, you got to settle in for. Before we get into Mallory as your daughter and the life she lived, um, what is cystic fibrosis? What would be a good way to describe that? So the simplest way to describe it is that cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease that you're born with. You need to get one gene from your mom and one gene from your dad. And it affects every organ that has mucus. So your pancreas, your lungs, your GI tract, and it has been a very deadly disease, but the progress that's been made has enabled kids to live longer. And that's one of the reasons 
I'm really advocating the film be seen now because we're using it to raise money and awareness and awareness to raise uh, research and do more trials. And it seems to be working from telling Mallory's story in academic audiences and hospitals across the country. Since I started speaking, places that had never done phage therapy, which is the treatment we're ultimately working towards, a lot of labs are now doing it and trials are being conducted, both approved by the FDA, the trials that have been approved by the FDA to begin, and compassionate use cases where people have no options left. So we're hoping that the film continues to do this work for us, which is amplify the message that antimicrobial resistance is a huge problem, not only for patients with CF because the thick, sticky mucus traps the bacteria and gets stuck and causes repeated infections, but anybody who's battling a superbug. So I, I need to take this moment to say that the statistic from the World Health Organization is that one person every three seconds will die from a superbug if we don't get more treatment. So Mallory's story is twofold. It's her writing, it's her words, it's the way she looked at the world, it's the way she lived her life. But she was also the first patient with CF to receive phage therapy and her case has paved the ways for others. So there's a lot, in my opinion, worth seeing here. And the yeah. way Will presented it is beautiful. It's just yeah, beautiful. And there has been, without, I don't want to go down uh, too far down a sidetrack, but I know that over the last many years, uh, antibiotics have become increasingly less effective in dealing with with these kinds of infections because of the rise in resistance of these infections uh, to, to antibiotics. And that th there's been a lot of talk over the years about the superbug and uh, that in fact, it's becoming more and more resistant to bacteria. So there's a lot of reasons and we'll get into that later, but I also go back to Will and, and basically as a filmmaker, you, you read the book and you were obviously uh, impressed and, and, and wanted to move forward with it. What was the first thing that you do as a filmmaker to reach out to Diane and Mark, or do you, or how, how do you work? How does that happen from that point forward? Um, well, this, you know, this process, you know, all the, it's always slightly unique. This was very unique in that I, I very much had to win over Diane and Mark's trust, um, you know, and, and we talked through and we emailed a lot about how I saw the film. And I think, Probably the thing that that you know kind of let me in, as it were, was that I realised that this, it wasn't really this isn't a gotcha film, right? This isn't a kind of nor is nor that I ever wanted to feel like a very kind of science based expositional film, you know. So we talked a lot about Mallory's life, you know. I had a lot of questions, you know, in terms of what was she like, because obviously I didn't have the privilege of meeting her, you know, and 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 I also wanted to know who was available to me, you know, from her life, because, you know, there are a lot of characters in the book. So I, I needed to know, you know, who, who was going to say yes, who was going to say no, how were people feeling about, you know, this topic in general, um, you know, and, and then we started a back and forth about, as Diane said, you know, what materials were out there, you know, because, you know, there's nothing worse than a straight talking heads doc, right, where you don't have anything, you know, it, I probably wouldn't have made it had that been the case. And I slowly realized Diane had done an extraordinary job. You know, one of her nicknames is the Mamarazzi. Um, you know, she had done an extraordinary job of documenting Mallory's life. And then I realized the sort of beautiful thing was that Mallory had very much picked that up as a tendency, you know, and, and, and not only with pictures, but because of her generation, you know, she was very active on social media. So there are a lot of, you know, those kind of videos out there. <clears throat> she was also a huge um, user of audio. So she did you know, she, she recorded podcasts, but she also recorded just audio of herself, you know, audio of herself figuring podcasts out, which is also, that's also incredibly intriguing because you start to see, you know, your protagonist 
you know, and how their mind is working and how they're sort of trying to create the work, um, you know, because that's also a pivotal part of the doc is, you know, her, it's, you know, it's a, it's a classic coming of age story, but, you know, it's also about an artist, right, Just, you know, finding her voice, um, you know, and, and so writing is a really kind of pivotal theme in the film. And then honestly, you know, I, I knew enough and I knew we had enough to, to really jump in, uh, which I did. And then we made a couple of, you know, you, you dream of making those kind of discoveries, but I was watching uh, Diane was showing me actually a news clip from Pittsburgh when Mallory had her lung transplant out there and a local TV station had done a little piece on the transplant and there was some footage of a lung transplant in the TV piece and I turned to Diane and said that's the most amazing stock footage I've ever seen and she said no no, no that's not stock footage that's Mallory's actual lung transplant and, and the University of Pittsburgh had filmed it you know because Mallory was such a kind of you know a model patient they were thinking oh you know we're going to use this had filmed it quite beautifully and then we discovered, as you've seen in the film, that there was a sit-down interview done by a choreographer, a friend of Mallory's, who created a ballet uh, based on Mallory's life. And he recorded this hours-long sit-down interview with her, which, which you know, people had known about, but no, you know, I don't think the Smiths had watched just because it was too painful. So we then also had that. And sorry, this is a long-winded answer, but I always get excited about this, so <laughs> apologies. But when we, were, when we were finishing the film, we discovered that um, Jacob Jonas, the choreographer, he had not he had not remembered this or not thought to tell me they'd used two cameras for the interview so oh. we'd locked picture and suddenly we had a second camera of an entire interview with Mallory so we had to reopen the film completely because then you've got you know reverses and different angles and cutaways and you know so um so we were we were really blessed in the end by how much material we found there really is a lot of material and i just want to say what a wonderful ecosystem of friends and relatives that Mallory had in her life. Not only there's, I, I think of sort of two ecosystems of people, the people that were her friends and colleagues and uh, people from school, boyfriends, and then there's the medical um, people and, and, and everyone to a person is uh, such an open and uh, really giving and loving people in her life you created you helped create you helped foster this in her but it's a it's a wonderful thing to watch is the the dedication of her friends the dedication of your family and all of this and um, my congratulations to you as a as a mom and a and as a wife but uh, yeah it just comes across beautifully in the film painful to watch but also unbelievably exciting to know that Mallory will live on in the hearts and minds of others who have read her book or see this beautiful film or who knew her. And that's very comforting. I, I know a lot of moms who've lost children. And the main thing that we all want is to know that our children didn't die in vain, that they had something to contribute and that people won't forget them. The film is called Salt in My Soul, and it is uh, going to be available. First of all, you can go to the website saltinmysoldoc.com. You can find out a lot about the film as well as where it'll be screening here in Los Angeles on, on January 21st. It'll be opening at the Lemley Theater as well as in New York at the, cinema, the Village Cinema. And it'll be opening here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Royal. That's right off uh, the freeway, right off Santa Monica Boulevard, right off the 405. If you, if you know anything about LA, you know where that is. Uh, you mentioned, Diane, earlier, you know, the reaction in the medical establishment, the medical people who do research on these kinds of things, it is giving a higher profile to phage therapy. Are you hearing more of 
it sounds like from your previous answer, but you're hearing more and more and more about this as becoming a part of a, a regiment, if you will. Is that right? Is that a fair well, way? Well, what happened was when I started talking in 2019, I went out in person across the country <clears throat> to medical centers, to medical schools, to hospitals, grand rounds. But I also spoke at businesses, women's luncheons, libraries, all kinds of places. Nobody had heard of phage therapy, not even the medical students, many of the doctors. The reason it arrived too late to save Mallory is that my husband, Mark, who had been researching pig's lungs, spoke to Dr. Church at Harvard. He said, it won't arrive in time to save your daughter, but look into phage therapy. Mark did. He read about Stephanie Strathy, who saved her husband. And in so doing, he decided to reach out to her. It took, you know, he asked 10 doctors in 10 hospitals. Nobody had heard of it. Nobody was willing to try it. And it wasn't until she was two weeks or so, three weeks before she was actually dead, that they that Dr. Joe Paluski at UPMC said, yes, we'll try this. Why not? Yeah. And that helped. And Stephanie, who had done this amazing thing, had not really gotten the sort of press attention that she should have for what she did with her husband. It was miraculous. He was a perfectly healthy man who went to a third world country and picked up a superbug. And so together with Mark and me, Stephanie, and then her colleague, Dr. Chip Schooley, we went to the press and we told these stories to the New York Times, to Time Magazine, to the Rolling Stone, a bunch of them, and helped get the word out. And at the same time, I was traveling the country talking to hospital and medical school, you know, one after the other and introducing it. And then I spoke to a lot of the CF communities and I urged them to put pressure on their medical centers. I urged these hospitals to start doing research. I urged the, urged the doctors to start saying yes. And um, you can imagine with you know me pushing that hard, how, that hard, how hard I pushed on Will, who was making the film about Mallory. But I felt so strongly, and my husband was the one who discovered, or I should say rediscovered, phage therapy. He's the intellectual, he's the scientist. I'm the amplifier because I'm a publicist by training and that's my day job. So I knew what had to be done. I knew that, that we had to amplify this message and Mallory's book and Mallory's story gave me that platform. So I started, and now I genuinely believe, and I, I know for a fact because of what Will has been able to do, the film is going to be screened in some very prestigious and important audiences, places that have the money, that have the research capabilities to do even more. And the FDA finally, finally has given approval for the first trial. And my husband is the one who introduced the idea of phage therapy to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation as a way to treat kids before they needed lung transplants because lung transplants are fraught with problems, which actually leads me to something that I'd love to get in here. So I used to harass Will in the early days. And I would say to him, what are you making this film about? There's so much, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, I would ask him that question over and over. And I think at first he didn't really understand why I was asking him, but I, I like to think that now he does, because at the end of the day, now the film is locked and we have a film that does a lot of things. It puts the patient into patient-centered care because we all talk about every hospital and healthcare system says we are offering patient-centered care, but it's widely documented that nobody's listening to the patients. And the New York, the New England Journal of Medicine just launched an ebook, The Power of the Patient Voice. So the film addresses the importance of the patient voice. Mallory speaks a lot about environmental erosion and the connection with human sickness. So we're reaching environmentalists. One topic that we haven't put in any press materials because we really didn't think about it until 
the very end is organ donation. Organ donation is a huge problem. The reason we need phage therapy, the reason why it was so hard for Mallory to get a transplant is there's a scarcity of lungs. And this film is a reminder to people, be an organ donor. You know, it, it's not preachy and it doesn't take any of these lessons and try to hammer them into you. But Will took the story of a young woman who had a lot to say and created this film that sets the stage for these conversations that can follow. And I could keep going, but I'll stop because no, that's, have, you're, so, wanna, you're so, you're so right. Many. Oh, and then there's the mental health Mallory in the middle of the film, Will gets into her depression. And I think that's so important right now in the middle of COVID with so many people struggling with isolation and depression and mental health challenges and anxiety. Mallory had that she talks about it and he zeroes right in on it in the film in a beautifully presented way. Right. And absolutely. Before I let that point go that you just mentioned about listening to patients, I've seen some documentaries, I think, how to um, how to survive a plague. Um, David Francis film about it was the first time that patients were forcing the medical establishment to listen to them about the treatments for for AIDS. Right. That's the first time a significant number of patients were saying, no, this is this isn't working, this is working, and beginning to kind of become a participant in the therapy that was eventually going to help save their lives. But to, to moving over to you, Will, the film, again, Diane just mentioned, the, the tone of it is, is beautifully rendered in the sense that it isn't a, you know, a weepy, you know, kind of doesn't pull you into this kind of modeling sense of the, the inevitability of Mallory's fate, but it, it's very realistic and, and, and the tone of it is just right in terms of just making, making it, this is her life, this is who she was, the spirit of her, and letting the audience be the active participant, if you will, in, in, that, in the telling of the story. Is, is that a fair way to put it? Yes, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you say that. You know, it was, um, it, it was one of the reasons that we decided to be very upfront about you know, Mallory's ultimate fate at the very beginning of the film. Yeah. You know, because I, I realized early on that you know, we, we are so conditioned um, to believe that our heroes are going to live in film, right? It's sort of one of, one of the sad things about so much Western cinema, right? And, and I realized that with Mallory, that if we weren't upfront about that, it was gonna be sort of devastating sort of to a point that you would lose track of everything else, you know, and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to just kind of, as you say, kind of be in the journey and not, not be overwhelmed by it, right? Not just be overwhelmed. So it's, it's an odd little thing, right? Because if you start and say, she, she dies at the end of this film, you know, you're not eliciting an emotional reaction from the audience. You're giving them a piece of information that, that's easy to process. I mean, you still reach the moment, right? I mean, I, I do it still, right? I watch this film and I, I still desperately hope she doesn't die. But I think it, it takes away that sort of, um, that overwhelming sucker punch and sense of like tragedy, you know, which I, it is, it's a sad story, but you know, it's like what Diane said is, and I think this is part of being true to who Mallory was that for all of the sadness, you know, she lived this kind of roller coaster life, right? And I realized that's very much the structure of the film that, you know, that there were some very dark days, you know, and real suffering and physical suffering and mental suffering, but there were some incredibly transcendent, wonderful days too, right? And, and I think she, she did such a brilliant job of, grabbing those when she could that as a filmmaker I was I really wanted to be true to that and not give you that sort of oh yeah well you know we all know what's gonna you know sort of to not puncture those moments you know and, and I think you know it's interesting sort of seeing how the film's landing now I think you know what Diane said is true that 
you know, in a way, I think it's, it's almost a perfect metaphor for what we've all gone through for the last two years. The protocols, you know, the, you know, of course, CF patients have been wearing masks and keeping, you know, six feet of distance forever. You know, so many of the, the COVID protocols come from the CF world. You know, so you sort of, you see so much of your own experience, whether you know it or not, in Mallory's experience, you know, respirators, you know, we've all lived in that kind of world. And I think, you know, sort of the idea that there, there is a future, Right, that there is hope that through sort of human resilience and, you know, and the arts and artistry and being connected to the environment and, you know, you know, that there, that there is a little bit of hope. Not to sound like a Pollyanna because it's still hard. But the film is far, far from Pollyannish. The, the spirit of Mallory comes through in the film. It's, it, she's an amazing human being and the world is better for her having been in it. What kind of, I don't know of, of a better way. Uh, for someone to be remembered. Yes, and I, I hope that the film inspires people who have lost someone to think of ways they can honor their memory and bring their spirit to life because everybody loses somebody they love. And that's one thing I've learned on this journey. When it's you, you just think the world is going to collapse and there's right. no reason to get up and keep going. But Mallory has given me a path forward and I think she's given a lot of other people a path forward. Um, it's It's been quite helpful to a lot of people I know. The film is called Salt in My Soul. It's also a book. You can also check that out through Penguin Random House. The book is available. The film is available at the Lemley Royal, as well as the Cinema Village. I misidentified it earlier. It's the Cinema Village in New York City. Thank you, Diane Shader-Smith, as well as Will Battersby. Thank you so very much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thank you so much, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 